Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. But there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. friends and welcome to the Seeker Podcast at Service of Change, where we challenge reality, question that which we've been taught in hopes of inspiring a new direction of thought to bring about change. I'm your host, Dennis Nappy II. On this week's episode of the Seeker Podcast, I want to talk about depression and some new promising alternative treatments using psychoactive substances, psilocybin, which is found in the magic mushrooms in ayahuasca. There are some clinical studies that have been done with some incredibly promising results helping people that have been dealing with clinical depression and anxiety among a a wide array of other things. Uh, I'll touch on some of the other metaphysical stuff and the mystical stuff that's affiliated with these substances as well, but from a purely clinical standpoint, and I say that without any scientific training, but reading the peer-reviewed journals that I'm going to get into for uh, for this, there's good hard science behind this now showing that, hey, yes, this in fact has a, a great success rate in the limited trials that they've done in treating people with depression and anxiety. Uh, I don't have a lot of time. There's just one story in the news that I want to get to uh, before I jump into this. It's It's been a it's been a crazy week. Oh my gosh, it's been a crazy week. Do you ever just have one of those weeks where it seems like just everything gets harder? Everything everything goes wrong. My students were just my students were off the hook this week. I, I noticed there was some increased solar activity uh, you know, in the atmosphere going on. Um, I, I know I guess I'd use the term believe. I believe that there's a, a strong correlation. I know, you know, based on the research coming out of suspicious observers, there is a correlation between behavior and health and, uh, you know, and, and things of that nature with the sun. But I, I'd like to see stronger studies. I'd like to track the data on what type of particular solar activity triggers what types of behaviors in certain people because I know I, I see it. And I think that's a very key pattern if we can look at that. We'll start to notice things because I, I felt it. I felt some stress and anxiety this week, which is ironic because last week my show was about finding happiness and stress. And I was mindful of that. I've, I've got some fantastic emails from listeners and, and uh, you know, comments on, the, on Instagram for people that took the time to listen to the show. Uh, Thank you so much. Really positive feedback I've gotten on that. If you haven't listened to it yet, you can check it out. It's on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can find it at servicechange.com. Make sure you subscribe. Subscribe to everything. That's the easiest way to get it. If you're going through the social media, it's hit or miss if you're going to get the updates. But if you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll get it right away. I'm not going to give you a commercial right now. You guys know the deal at this point in time. But thank you to those 
who have reached out saying they appreciated that show. It was uh, an important one for me to do. And I'm kind of riding that wave right now. I want to continue talking about that because there's some interesting stuff. Here I am jumping into tangent already. I want to say this one story in the news because it's something I've been tracking. I'm sorry for being all over the place here. This comes to us from mirror.co.uk. First, the world's first operational RoboCop hits the streets as Dubai builds robot police force. Dun, dun, uh, uh-oh, here we go. Skynet is coming out. Robots are set to make up a quarter, a quarter of Dubai's police force by 2030. And RoboCop is the, thirst, the first. A quarter, that's 25% of their police force are going to be robots. That's insane to me. That's absolutely insane to me. All right, now I'm trying to read the article, and it doesn't want to come up for me. Where is it here? Anyway, it talks about this article. I don't need it. I'll, I'll go freestyle here. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, it's for some reason it's not loading. I'll have the links in the show notes so you can look at it yourself and uh, and see what they're saying about it. But basically, they have this this robot out there, and it's got a it has a touch screen. You can talk to it. It has facial recognition software. Here we go. Now it's up. I was freestyling for a minute. The world's first operational RoboCop has been unveiled in Dubai as part of the Emirates' planned robot police force. RoboCop started work on Sunday and is already making a name for itself. At 5 feet 5 inches tall, weighing 100 kilograms, it can speak six languages and is designed to read facial expressions. It had an easy start to working life being unveiled at a three-day-long Golf Information Security Expo and conference. Uh, there's some video of it up here. What else does it say here? You know, these, some of these websites that make it so difficult to just sit and read an article because there's so many ads that keep popping up. When the expo draws to a close tomorrow, it will be released into a wider world to tackle real-life issues. It has a built-in tablet so people can use it to pay fines or report crimes. It can also transmit and receive messages from police headquarters. Brigadier General Khalid Nasir al-Rakazi, Director General of Smart Services of the Dubai Police, said, The launch of the world's first operational RoboCop is a significant milestone for the Emirate and a step toward realizing Dubai's vision to be a global leader in smart cities technology adoption. With an aim to assist and help people in the malls or on the streets, the RoboCop is the latest smart addition to the force and has been designed to help us fight crime, keep the city safe, and improve happiness levels, he added. He can chat and interact, respond to public queries, shake hands, and offer a military salute. Right now it sounds like something that you'd find in Walt Disney World. So he's not carrying a gun. He's not running down and chasing people down yet. And this, again, it's the consumer that's going to try this. It does have a benefit. As a, as a former cop, there's a lot of calls you have to go to, a lot of things you got to deal with and answer to. That really, if a robot can do that, it would free police officers up to handle the more serious stuff, the more dangerous stuff. It can definitely be an asset. Now, the scary thing is when they start incorporating some of this AI that's coming out and they start thinking for themselves or if they give them the ability to make an arrest or, or to carry some kind of weapon or even non-lethals, that's possibly where this stuff can, can evolve into. Then I think we're starting to get very concerned about that. But as of right now, we're not at Skynet level. But is this the beginning of something like that? I don't quite no i'm leaning towards yes i know dubai in july is set to roll out a drone taxi service it'll be an unmanned aerial taxi so it's going to fly around and hover you from place to place without a pilot being in there with you so keep your eyes on dubai as they have some of the most uh, the latest tech coming out in terms of robotics and possibly ai all right let's talk about depression 
you know, this is something that is, it's near and dear to my heart. I personally have battled with depression throughout my life. Uh, and I've known a lot of people who have dealt with depression. I've known people professionally, personally, who've attempted suicide, who've succeeded and committed suicide. Uh, it's, it's a very sad thing. It's a horrible thing. And there's so many treatments out there that just, they don't always work. And so many of us that don't work, they don't, that don't experience this often, that don't understand this disease, because it is, it is a disease. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know what to say. We tell people, oh, just suck it up. You'll be okay. You just got to change your mindset. But a lot of times that's not the case. In my experience and in my research, depression is, it's the it's a disease just like any other disease like the flu or a heart attack. You wouldn't tell somebody with a heart attack, just walk it off. You'll be fine. Just stop thinking about it. Depression and suicide are the same thing. There's something that's going on that's causing somebody to have these issues inside. Sometimes it's a chemical imbalance in their brain that they can't physically control or mentally control. And it's very frustrating and it's very difficult to deal with. And I, I've known people that have been on meds, they've been off meds. And when, you know, when I was a cop, so many times I'd get a phone call to go, or a, a complaint to go because somebody was making suicidal statements and they needed us to get there quick before they ended their life or attempted to end their life. And I'd get there and I'd talk with them and I'd be taking them over to the crisis center and it nine times out of 10, what happened was, well, they ran out of meds, they went off their meds or the dose got changed for their meds or they, their body adapted and that dose no longer is strong enough for them. And they were having some issues and some suicidal thoughts. Uh, it, it was really out of control, you know? So I, I saw this time and again, you know, as a, as a teacher, I've, I've worked with students who, I remember I had, I had a little boy and he was this elaborate drawing on his desk. And uh, I looked at it, and it was a picture of like a bed and a closet with a noose hanging from it and a body hanging from the noose with a gun on the floor. And I said to him, I said, hey, that's an interesting drawing. Can you tell me about it? He says, yeah, that's my room. And he starts pointing stuff in his room. I said, who's that hanging in the closet? He says, that's me. I said, why would you draw yourself hanging? He said, well, that's what I'm going to do today when I go home. I don't want to live anymore. And I asked him why, and this, this student had very bad skin. He had, uh, I think it was extreme psoriasis, and his face was incredibly dried out and scaly. Seventh grade kid, sweet kid. But all the students used to call him Freddy Krueger and, and tease him, which was so sad to me. So we were able to, you know, I was able to get in touch with our guidance counselors, and we got him some help, and we got him you know, to a crisis center and, and, um, he ended up being okay, at least throughout the rest of the year. I, I lost contact cause I got transferred, but last I heard he was, you know, he was doing well, um, but he was just trying to cope with, with everything. And it's gotta be tough for a young child to sit there and, and plan out his suicide. That was just, that was traumatic for me. You know, so I, I've seen this a lot. I, and again, in, in my personal life as well, and I'm not going to get too far into those experiences. I mean, I'll talk about myself. You know, I've, I've battled with depression coming out from the military. I remember just feeling like I was worthless, like I was just a piece of garbage. And I had nothing going for me. And, uh, you know, I, I had thought about it. I never, I never attempted it. But the thoughts 
went through my head that, hey, this life sucks. This is, this is terrible. I don't want to feel this way anymore. Maybe it would just be easier if I just ended it all. I, you know, I've, I've had those thoughts. I've been down that road. I remember my parents calling me every hour. I remember my parents, who at the time lived two hours away, showing up at my house just to make sure that I wasn't going to do something stupid because I left their house one day so just down and out. And uh, so they, they pretty much followed me home and spent the night just to make sure that I was in, in a, the right state of mind. Um, so I, I get it. it. It's it's tough to deal with. And what I what I find inspiring in my in my research for you know for for food for the archons for the book that I'm writing, I, t- I talk a lot about consciousness. If you listen to previous shows, I mean that's obviously something I'm very interested in is in understanding human consciousness. And understanding why we do what we do. And what I've found is that there are certain things that can cause or interfere with human behavior. Food, toxins, and drugs being an obvious one. But there's also parasites that can get inside people's bodies. It can alter our body chemistry. It can alter our brain chemistry. And it could cause us to do certain things. In nature, these parasites will actually cause creatures to, to act in a way that will cause them to die. The, the toxipla... I can't remember the name of it now. I'll have a link to it. There's an amoeba that's found in cat feces. And it ultimately causes rats to commit suicide by going and being attracted to the smell of cat urine. And then by uh, going out in the open, no longer being afraid to be out in the open where they would normally scurry in the shadows, so a cat will catch the rat and eat it because inside the rat's gut is a parasite that can only continue its life cycle inside the intestines of the cat. So therefore, it changes the rat's behavior to become suicidal behavior. So I'm going to get a little out there right now. I don't think it's uh, too far-fetched based on the research that I've done, but what if there is something that's going on here within humanity that does cause us to take these drastic measures? Uh, I know when they find this parasite, this amoeba inside the human body, there's an elevated risk of uh, elevated occurrences of risk-taking behavior and schizophrenia and all sorts of other mental health issues that come with this. So is it, is it that far of a stretch to think, well, maybe there is some kind of parasite in some cases that does cause people to get, um, you know, to, to take this, to have these suicidal thoughts. I also know that sometimes those of us that deal with depression, we hear that loop going in our head. I'm worthless. I'm a piece of junk. I'm no good. I can't do it. Everybody hates me. I'm so lonely. Nobody's ever going to love me ever again. Nobody ever understands. We hear it on loop just over and over and over again. And one day what I realized when I was hearing that, my, my internal thought used to be I'm a piece of shit. I used to hear that playing over and over again. And other little things, you know, I, I'd, I'd have a positive thought and then, you know, I'd hear my head say, well, you suck anyway, things like that. And one day I realized that that negative voice, although it sounded just like me, wasn't my voice. Now, I'm not saying I'm hearing voices in my head, but I do think that there's some kind of, I'm going to use a metaphor here, some kind of program that runs in our minds nonstop sometimes that we can't shut off or we, or we don't know how to shut it off. So it'll say, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I'm a piece of shit, I'm a piece of shit, whatever, whatever that internal loop is. Now, I have learned that there are ways to break that internal monologue and you will realize that was not me. Now, what was it? I have my own theories. 
that's a different show. If you look at my stuff, talking about the archons and and uh, you know energy parasites and and some of this other uh, look at my mind control stuff that I've done. How there's stuff out there in the airwaves that we are susceptible to receive. I do think that affects uh, some of some of us that are dealing with depression. In addition, some of us who are dealing with depression may have just a chemical imbalance. We may have some significant trauma or loss going on in our lives. There are so many reasons for people to be facing depression. But it's a serious problem that we need to be mindful of. I'm looking at the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. And it says anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S. affecting 40 million adults in the United States age 18 or older, or 18% of the population. Uh, let's see here. Anxiety disorders are highly treatable, yet only about one-third of those suffering receive treatment. Let's see here. I wanted to find a depression stats, and I had them, and now they are gone. 6.7% affects, so we have uh, depression affects more than 15 million American adults, or about 6.7% of the U.S. population, age 18 or older, in a given year. So a lot of us, that's 15 million people per year are dealing with depression. Now, suicide statistics, this comes from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It's the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. Each year, 44,193 Americans die by suicide. Suicide costs the U.S. $51 billion annually. Now, I, I I'm going to pause for a minute and talk about worldview. And I think part of the problem, too, is that we, we lack an understanding of really who we are as people and what our connection to this world is. Now, when my father died, my worldview was, we're screwed. This, we exist only to suffer. And there's nothing we can do about it. It was a hopeless feeling. We're going to die. Bad things happen. I've seen it as a cop. I've seen it as a soldier. I've seen it as a teacher. Horrible things happen to good people, and there's no rhyme or reason for it. And when you, when it happens to somebody you care about, I don't care how positive you are, it, it's very difficult to keep on a happy face. It's very difficult to keep a positive worldview and say, yep, there's still good in this world. This life is still worth living. I've, I struggled with that for a long time. And I do believe that the world or the system that's currently running this world is designed to keep us down. I believe that that system is designed to maximize suffering, suffering of each other through the ones that we love and through our own personal failures, through our own personal limitations. And that's where my research started with food for the archons. That's where I began my journey in trying to understand what is this suffering? What's the cause of this suffering? But what I found, because that book was going to be all of doom and gloom, all about how terrible the world is and how there's nothing we can do about it. But what I found is that although the world can be a terrible place, once we realize how this works, once we realize who we are, 
there are steps we can take to minimize that psychological damage, that psychological trauma, to deal with that pain of realizing that somebody we care about was taken from us in an absolutely horribly sad fashion. It doesn't make the pain go away. But it can give us a different perspective on life and it can make us, it can make us feel happy again once we, once we heal from the loss. And I know that's hard to do, especially if you're out there and you're going through something right now. My mere mention of this may be making you angry because you're, <laughs> I've been there. You don't want to hear you're going to be happy again. You want to hear life sucks because so-and-so just passed. It's a horrible thing. I get it. I get it. But I've been through that journey multiple times. I've walked that path and it can get better. But I think part of it too, again, is we lack an understanding of what happens to us once we die. Now, I have a strong belief in what I think happens after we die. My belief is not based on, on faith. It's based on part experience and part research and part the accounts of other people. And I think Robert Monroe has done a lot of good research in showing people that, hey, something happens after we die. We still go on. There is life beyond our physical existence. Consciousness continues. Now, I wonder if, and they offer a program for everybody can get this experience with tangible results so you can experience and understand this for yourself. I wonder if as a society, if we had a better understanding of what happens when we die, if the sadness we feel when we lost somebody would be minimized. Because when something bad happens, we're human beings, we love people, we're still going to feel sadness. I get it, and that's okay. But I think sometimes, too, is this feeling of this is forever, or I can never communicate with them again, or I can never see them again. But there's countless accounts of people through different states of trance or meditation, or sometimes through the use of certain substances, they're able to reconnect with loved ones to have passed on. Or they're able themselves to get a preview of what happens afterwards and find peace. And that depression is minimized and anxiety is minimized. And that's what I want to talk about right now is that there's the, the research that I was talking about I think offers a lot of promise. If you or somebody you know just is not responding to the drugs that, that your doctor is giving you, Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm giving you a point of research to look further into this yourself that may be a point of hope. There's an article that comes to us from The Guardian. Here's where, I, here's where my rabbit trail started with this. Magic mushroom chemical psilocybin could be key to treating depression studies. It has an immediate reduction in depression and anxiety for up to eight months seen in patients with advanced cancer given a single dose of psilocybin. I have two articles that talk about this with people's experiences on it. I'm going to link them in the show notes. I'm going to jump right to the source of this, though, and go to the, the journal entry, which is in the Journal of Psychopharmacology. That's a big word to say. Rapid and sustained symptom reduction following psilocybin treatment for anxiety and depression in patients with life-threatening cancer. A randomized controlled trial. That's the heading of it. Here's the abstract. The background, clinically significant anxiety and depression are common in patients with cancer and are associated with poor psychiatric and medical outcomes. Historical and recent research suggests a role for psilocybin to treat cancer-related anxiety and depression. Methods, in this double-blind, placebo-controlled, 
crossover trial, 29 patients with cancer-related anxiety and depression were randomly assigned and received treatment with single-dose psilocybin, 0.3 micrograms, or milligrams, I'm sorry, or niacin, both in conjunction with psychotherapy. The primary outcomes were anxiety and depression assessed between two groups prior to the crossover at seven weeks. Prior to the crossover, this is the result, psilocybin produced immediate, substantial, and sustained improvements in anxiety and depression and led to a decrease in cancer-related demoralization and hopelessness, improved spiritual well-being, and increased quality of life. At the 6.5-month follow-up, psilocybin was associated with enduring uh, anxiolytic and antidepressant effects. Approximately 60 to 80% of participants continued with clinically significant reductions in depression or anxiety. Sustained benefits in existential distress and quality of life, as well as improved attitude towards death. The psilocybin-induced mystical experience meditated the therapeutic effect of psilocybin on anxiety and depression. Conclusion, in conjunction with psychotherapy, single moderate-dose psilocybin produced rapid, robust, and enduring antioxidant and antidepressant effects in patients with cancer-related psychological distress. That's a smoking gun. This should be on every, in every hospital, this paper should be pushed out to every mental health ward. They should be pushing this research through even further and faster to understand it and to get it out to people who need it. I can't say that it's going to work for every type of depression. I don't know that. This was specifically targeting terminal patient, terminal cancer patients, and it helped them relieve their anxiety and their distress and everything they were dealing with. But who's to say it's not going to work with somebody that is feeling suicidal because they have a chemical imbalance or they have some other form of depression going on due to trauma in their lives? These studies need to be done. I'm not saying they're not being done. They might be. I'm, I'm new at this level of research and looking into it. I'm hoping that they are. But we need to be mindful of this. I don't think it's a good idea that you say, hey, I'm feeling depressed. I'm going to go take up a whole bunch of psychedelic mushrooms and trip out my mind and cure it myself. I don't recommend that. But I think this is important for us to be aware of. Now, I also heard rumors of, uh, let's see, ayahuasca. Before I get into ayahuasca, actually, I'm going to put a link to that journal that I just read. And I have a link to other peer-reviewed journals with different research involving psilocybin. So we have, here's the journal entries that that you can look at. I'll have these links for you. Psilocybin-assisted treatment for alcohol dependence. Mystical experience occasioned by hallucinogen psilocybin lead to increases in the personality domain of openness. Validation of the revised mystical experience questionnaire and experimental sessions with psilocybin. Uh, Pilot study of 5-HT2AR against psilocybin in treatment of tobacco addiction. Effects of psilocybin on time perception and temporal control of behavior in humans. That sounds like an interesting one. The Challenging Experience Questionnaire, we're not going to read that one. Rapid and Sustained Symptom Reduction Following Psilocybin Treatment for Anxiety and Depression. That's the one we just read. Uh, Let's see, anything else? Yes, there's a lot of other studies on here involving psilocybin that I think are well worth your time. Uh, I've I've touched on this mushroom and the, the power that it has in the past. You know, I, I, I like to try to think like a shaman whenever I can because I, I like to try to help people. I like to try to heal, and I'm no expert. I'm really not. But in my understanding of studying other cultures and other shamans, when somebody's having an issue, a lot of times what these shamans do or would do is they'd give somebody a hallucinogenic substance, and they'd have a vision quest, or they'd have a dream, or they'd have a hallucination, where they'd experience something 
that would put their problem into perspective. And when they came out of it, their problem was manageable. I'm not saying your problem goes away, but your problem was manageable. This is what's been lost to our society because these things were demonized. They were made a dangerous drug is how they've been classified. And if used improperly, they probably are. But we have gotten rid of our shamans and our medicine men because it deals with a mystical experience. It deals with something unknown. It deals with something that science at this point can't measure. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We have enough people reporting similar experiences when they take these substances and we're getting similar results there is something there now is what they're encountering another consciousness or is this something that's stimulating imagination on a certain path in our brains is it like a computer program that's running through your mind troubleshooting like antivirus software i can't say at this point that's a discussion for another show i will refer you to the work of graham hancock especially his books uh his book called supernatural he really gets into this and it's it's something that's fascinating but there's there's so much more to it and i think it gives us an understanding when you take these substances and i never have i have an interest i just haven't i'm not at that point in my life right now but when you take these substances i think you're encountering something Beyond just, let me fix your depression. I think you're encountering something that gives you a different perspective on life. A lot of times we go through depression because we go through trauma. Well, having an experience like this for some people is traumatic in the sense that it was so shocking and and revealing that it changes their worldview. Just like something traumatic changes your worldview. And that can maybe possibly snap you out of it. Maybe that's the mechanism that's going on here. Because they report that most people that have these experiences... With it comes some kind of spiritual or mystical experience. Now, I'm not pushing some new age guru spiritual stuff. I'm not. I want you to focus on the science. I have an interest in the spiritual and mystical stuff as well. So I would like to delve into that in my own personal life uh, and maybe in another show. But if you're dealing with somebody or yourself is dealing with or you know somebody who's fighting with this horrible disease, this is hope. This is, there's a lot of hope here in this. So I came across another article because, you know, reading Graham Hancock and others, they talk about ayahuasca, which is another hallucinogenic uh, drug. And I'm going to read this article is from NewYorkMagazine.com. And it's called, It's Time for Cautious Excitement About Ayahuasca as Depression Treatment. Brazilian researcher Rafael Gumieres uh, Dos Santos summarized the state of research for a recent post on the conversation. Santos, a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Sao Paulo's medical school, warns that the field is young but promising. 2016 review of observational studies of regular users found reductions in dependence and substance abuse. A preliminary 2015 study for depression treatment found 82% reductions in depression scores. And another 2016 review found that short-term use was associated with improved planning and in inhibitory control with potential antidepressive and anti-addiction applications. Intriguingly, a 2012 longitudinal study of long-term users found that regular use does not seem to induce the pattern of addiction-related problems that characterize drugs of abuse. The problem with all this research is methodological. The placebo effect is real, especially in regards to depression interventions. If people are signing up for an ayahuasca trial, after all, they're going to be biased to thinking that it's going to help them with whatever emotional challenges they're working through. 
That's where Santos comes in. He and his colleagues are in the middle of an 80-person study on ayahuasca as a treatment for social anxiety, he reports, with a double-blind placebo-controlled design, meaning that the results will be way more robust. Methodology is crucial, methodology is crucial since rigorous designs make it easier to do clickbaity failing to replicate research. Ideally, one would think that the study Santos is co-authoring would have more participants, making it even more robust. So, uh, again, these studies, they're starting. And I think we need to get behind them and support them and see where they go. Now, I'm going to read this last, it's not the last paragraph. Uh, it is the last paragraph. Let me read it. The promise of hallucinogenic intervention is that it's the sort of thing that can change someone's outlook on life for the better. An epiphany, a conversation, a peak experience. Matthew W. Johnson, the Johns Hopkins psychiatrist doing the smoke, the smoking cessation and psilocybin work, told Science of Us that he wasn't specifically looking for a spiritual outcome, but it's apparently what makes a difference. Our data does indicate that stronger mystical experiences are associated with success, Johnson wrote in an email. Such experiences tend to reframe life priorities. With pure pleasure-seeking dropping and other aspects increasing, family connection, higher principles. If it works with active ingredient mushrooms, the right reasoning will go that it should work with ayahuasca too. Again, this is promising. And it ties into everything else that I've been talking about on my show as well, with consciousness, with other life outside our own visual perceptions that live in a, in a close realm to us that we can only access through altered states. I think there's something to it, and I think that it's worth exploring, and I think that this can help a lot of people. Again, I can't say it's the end-all, be-all for everybody, but what if what if somebody you care about can benefit from something like this? Do your research. Find out what we have to do to make this more mainstream and get it out there. I'm sure pharma is going to either fight it or try to find a way to market it, but it's their fault this stuff isn't more readily available. It's their fault that the that the modern day shamans are, are, are or the shamans are gone uh, compared to what they used to be. Every tribe should have a shaman and somebody who understands this stuff. Our doctors should be getting training in this type of stuff as well. Um, but maybe this is this is the change we need. Maybe this is the revolution that we need. It's tough. Uh, so I hope that this brings those of you that, that have faced this ugly disease, I hope that it brings you hope because it has certainly brought me a lot of hope uh, in, in dealing with the people I care about who have gone through this uh, you know, throughout my life and my experience because it's, it's hard. And I know last week I talked about finding, finding happiness in stress and I know that can be difficult to do as I said earlier in this show. I know it's so hard to do sometimes when we're dealing with something I wish I could give you advice that would say, hey, everything, you know, just whatever I say, all of a sudden you're going to realize, you're going to realize that life's better, everything's okay, and we have nothing to worry about. Sorry, as I'm saying this, something just boomed in my house. So I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a spirit in here that doesn't want me to put this information out. Who knows, but that was pretty creepy. Anyway, back to what I was trying to say is that I, I don't have a magic word that's going to suddenly take your depression away and make you feel better. But what I can say is that it can get better. I know from experience it can get better. And this life is worth fighting for. That I have learned as well. Although I do believe that it, the world is designed against us and we're working against something, either society, a system, a force, a consciousness, whatever it may be. I think there is something out there that benefits from our suffering. I really do. 
but I think we can choose not to participate in such suffering. Or we can at least make it easier. We can at least find a way to enjoy the journey no matter what the end may be. So have hope, have faith. I think we can overcome this and do so much better and this is a key piece to doing that. I know it's all over the place tonight. It's just something that's uh, personal to me and, and exciting. I hope you benefited from the show. Please share it with somebody who you think would benefit from hearing this information. The links to this stuff will be in the show notes as well for you to start your own research. If you have any more information on this, please, please, please send it my way so I can get it out as well. Uh, I'd also like to take a moment on a completely different note to acknowledge the upcoming holiday, the upcoming Memorial Day weekend right now. It's Friday, May 26th. Memorial Day is on Monday. Let us take time to remember those that we've lost in service to our country. Those that we've lost who have been, who have fought for us and the, and the belief in freedom and what it is that they died for. Enjoy your barbecue this weekend, but remember why it is that we have the day off, why it is that we are celebrating and what they went through. And I also want you to as make a pledge Take some time to understand why they died. Go back and listen to my show called The Pentagon Papers, my show about World War I. Understand the reasons for war. Understand some of the manipulation that goes on that inspires young men to go off and to die for war. And you have to ask yourself, was it necessary? If they knew what we know now, would they have volunteered and gone off to fight and die, increasing the suffering in this world because a few politicians have their own agenda? I think it's important to not only honor those that we've lost, but to also understand history because once again, we see that possibility of war being dangled in front of our faces and we need to be sure that if we choose to send those we love off to war again, that it is for the right reasons, that we've exhausted every other possible opportunity for peace. Because the last thing we want is to have to add more names to the list of those we need to honor on days such as Memorial Day. Peace is an option if we have all the facts, if we can understand how this system really works. That's all the time I have, friends. I'm Dennis Nappy II with Service of Change, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning and keep an open mind. Truth Seekers.